0: Today's episode of Yins Above Replacement is presented by the Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmyUSA.org.
1: Doing? Welcome to the Inns Above Replacement Podcast, episode 52. And a long story tradition of <laughs> waiver wire pickups, War 52. Uh, you know, you can look at Masumi Kawata, who wasn't a waiver wire but stuck around here. Frankelis Soria, Chris Butchek, Jack Leather Joe Hanrahan wore 52 though and he was a worthy guy. Anyway, welcome to the show. I am Rob Temple. I cover the Pirates for the Athletic and I am joined by the venerable
0: Stephen J Nesbitt. Rob, we have a guest today. We have a good guest. A very Inuitable. good guest today. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. number 18, the three-time All-Star Jason Kendall will be on with us very shortly. I don't want to pump his tires too much while he's on the <laughs> air. You got to play it cool. But Jason Kendall, uh, former first-round pick, uh, broke into the majors in 96 with the Pirates, ends up uh, being an 805 OPS. We're talking about a plus hitter here. This guy walked more than he struck out with the Pirates. Ended up signing, as we'll talk about, the largest contract in Pirates history, six years, $60 million. So far has not been broken. And, uh, it's about well, it's only been 20 payroll. years. So. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's uh, one day. One day inflation will get to the point where they'll... They'll be past it. Um, and, uh, didn't, didn't experience too much winning baseball in Pittsburgh, but was able to, uh, bounce around a bit at the end of his career and went to the athletics, the Cubs, the Brewers, the Royals. And, uh, and Rob, you saw a lot of his, a lot of his ball career, right?
1: That I did. Yeah. Uh, at, at that period, I was working for the Tripping Review here and Joe Rudder was the main guy in the beat, but I was the backup guy in the beat for a good portion of time. And I pretty much spanned all of Jason's career. With the Pirates, uh, just an interesting guy in a lot of ways. I mean, came up and you could tell from his rookie year that, you know, more than just because he was a catcher, you know, those guys tend to be, you know, the focal points of teams, team leaders. But he just had that, that quality where he was very intense, uh, just a, just a real gamer, a gritty guy, a bulldog kind of guy, and a guy that, you know, the fans took to, I think, pretty much, you know, from day one with him. And he had a great rookie year. In uh, 1996, I think he finished third in Rookie of the Year voting. Yes. Sporting News Magazine named him its Rookie of the Year. He hit 300. He was an all-star. So just a tremendous start. And, you know, a lot of times if a guy has a start like that, you wonder, oh, my God, is this like the next Joe Shabotnik or whatever. But, no, he kept it going for a number of years <clears throat> with a bunch of different teams. A couple of leagues, uh, National League, American League, could hit. Lead off, which is something that catchers, you know, just yeah. don't do because most of them, let's face it, are built like Spanky Levalier. But Kendall was a guy who, you know, he was athletic. He had speed and he could hit. He could hit for average. He could throw the ball into the gaps with his bat, I mean, not, you know, when he was thrown on a runner. Uh, you know, made up for some defensive shortcomings with a pretty strong, accurate arm and just a real savvy for the game, uh, he yeah. really seemed to be able to connect with pitchers and had that sixth sense to know what runners were going to do. So, yeah, a talented guy in a lot of ways, and it's a shame he played in Pittsburgh when he did, yeah, because you know that was a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty crappy era for Pirates baseball. But he played here for a number of years, put up a lot of great stats, and uh, looking forward to seeing what he has to say about a bunch of different issues, uh, both in his past and with the game today.
0: Right. He ended up catching, uh, 2000 plus games, over 2000 games. Uh, that's not uh, an easy thing to do to your body. He told a great story. I won't make him tell it again, but he, uh, he told it on, uh, John Boy's podcast. Uh, I'll find the name in a minute. Um, talking baseball podcast. And he told a story about the rare times when, when the Pirates put him in the outfield to give him. Um, just give his body a little bit of a rest and, and how much of a disaster he said that kind of was. He said there's one game where he, he called the game from the outfield, like his, using his, uh, his arm positioning to signal change up fastball location, wherever. And, uh, that just shows how much of a catcher this guy is. <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, let's, let's take it to the always entertaining, um, uh, you know the the never boring, always entertaining. Not yet the manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Jason Kendall.
1: <laughs> well, let's welcome in Jason Kendall. And Jason, uh, thanks for stopping by. Uh, Yar, Yin's above replacement. I got to start out with an apology on my end. In uh, on November eighteenth of two thousand, uh, it was a Saturday night, and I was still uh, the backup beat guy for on the at the Pittsburgh Trib on the Pirates. And Joe Rudder was off that night. You remember Joe? He was off that night doing something or other. And about, I don't know, 7, 8 o'clock, I get this phone call. Maybe it was closer to 9. Phone call saying, hey, uh, Kendall's going to sign a contract extension. Could you do the story? And it wasn't really a question, could you do the story? There was no one else to do the story. So, of course, I had to do the friggin' story. Well, fine. I could do the story. The thing is, though… That it was playgroup night in our neighborhood and there was like about a dozen or so of us parents that all had little toddlers. At that time, my oldest girl was four. So. You can't go to work with and miss playgroup night. <laughs> what are you doing? I had to. And as it turned out, I was pretty, I was three sheets of the wind, my friend. I cause playgroup, it was a hard drinking group, you know? So yeah, I called you hard. up that night. And I don't know if you ever knew it or not or if not, but I was freaking drunk. <laughs> I talked to Jason Kendall and congratulated him on the signing of the contract extension. So if you remember it that way, I'm sorry for being a little toasted, but hey, it was Playgroup Night.
2: No, you know what? You didn't even have to tell a story because I don't remember anything. And I'm sure I was going to say before you started that it was probably my fault and I apologize. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that's a, I, I vaguely remember that as time goes by. But um, I don't remember that you were uh sloth. So yeah.
1: No no worries. Good to talk to you again though, Rob. Well that extension, I mean, at the time it was the largest extension, uh six years, sixty million dollars, largest extension, largest contract offered in Pirates history. And guess what Jason? Twenty years later, it's still the largest contract in Pirates history. Did you think you would hold the record that long?
2: No, I don't know if it's a record.
1: <laughs> uh-huh.
2: It's amazing. It just it just goes to show how different organizations work. and, and uh, I mean, because I remember when we were, I think it was 97, we had that $9 million payroll, mm-hmm. And, you know, we actually played pretty good ball that whole year. But, uh, you know, obviously you're going to have your bigger market teams. You're going to have your lower market teams. But, no, I, I didn't think it would be on this one. I thought you guys would uh, definitely lock up McCutcheon, but obviously that uh, didn't happen. But Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, I don't I don't really pay too much attention to stuff like that, but uh I guess if I'm holding a record I guess that's good. <laughs> uh
0: Jason, how have you guys been keeping yourselves occupied during this uh this quarantine? I know you guys are in the, the Kansas City area still. I saw on Twitter that your wife has been making a bunch of um a bunch of masks to give out to folks and uh, and uh getting some donations for a local dog rescue. What have you guys been doing to stay uh stay entertained?
2: Oh, well, we have four kids, as I say, children, but, I mean, you know, they're all teenagers now, so they're kind of on autopilot, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where this is a crazy time, and it's just uncharted waters for everybody, not just baseball, but for everything out there, and uh, we've just been doing what we can do, I mean, and, and doing our, try, hopefully doing our part, and, um, you know, obviously quarantining ourselves and, and trying to stay away from uh, going outside as much as possible, as far as with crowds. It's just a crazy, crazy time, and yeah, I know my, my wife. She's she's making all these um these masks, and now she's like addicted to it. We're quarantined. I don't think I've seen her in like two weeks because she's just rolling them out to like four in the morning, and, <laughs> and I wake up early and go to bed early, and she just she falls asleep and wakes up and starts doing it again. But no, it's, you know it's such a good cause that that people don't really think about it that much. And um, you know, she's an animal lover. I we got a couple dogs, and um it's just one of those things where I mean, yesterday she which was really cool to me. And she, she's already mad at me for saying this, but I mean, I went out to take the trash out maybe two days ago and she had, you know, about five or six masks for the, the, the workers that were, um you know, picking up. And uh, that was so cool. So uh, I don't post much. I don't do much on Twitter. I'm not very uh, uh, computer savvy, so to say, but you know, it was one of those things that I was, I was proud of her for doing that. And I thought stuff like that needs to be out. So yeah, no, she's working and, It's amazing though. And it's kind of sad how many, we have a bunch of uh, doctors and friends out here and some that work in the ER and some that are nurses. And it's amazing. I mean, there there is at one point, one of our friends um, who works in the ER said, we have one mask. I have one mask. And she goes, at the end of the day, I put it in a paper bag and which is not, you know, it's not even sanitized. And I wear it for the next day. So it's, it's, it's sad that there's not enough. So, I mean, it's it's a little part, but she's she's doing that, and she's gotten pretty good at it. But yeah, none of us can go if we have, if we go anywhere. We I feel like a kid too. She like makes make sure you wear that mask. So, <laughs> but no, I mean it's it's one of those, it's a scary thing, and it's even scarier that certain workers who actually need them don't have
1: enough. Right. Mm. We hear so often uh, from readers and, and people on Twitter and everything about how much you know they miss baseball. Uh, they would like to have baseball back. Just to be able to watch it, to feel a sense of normalcy. How much do you still follow the game? And, and, and are you, you know, are you jonesing for some baseball right about now?
2: But you know what? Um, it's – there's so many ways I can, I can answer this. is because, you know, I'm a, my son's a sophomore, plays baseball. And then I have two other sons who wrestle. And then my dad – I mean, you know, missing my son's high school baseball. And I, I feel awful for – I think the worst part about this is for the seniors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the – um the senior class that, you know, they don't get their uh, And the one thing that it's going to do as far as the baseball aspect of it is. God, I, I tell you what, these minor league kids. They can't afford to take a year off. And I, I feel awful for them as well. But um, and, you know, especially your your prospects and not think, everybody's a prospect in my mind, I think, but your prospects. They, they can't afford it. So. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the whole trickle-down effect works as far as from college, because I, I don't know much about the college um, part of it, but I know that the, the I believe it's the seniors get another year of eligibility back. Correct me if I'm wrong, please, guys. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, you're right.
2: A, so, I mean, what it's going to do, and, and if you're a ball player and you're listening to this podcast, uh, it's going to – and I – have no problem saying this, but it's going to take the mediocre players out of it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people won't say that uh, live on the air or whatever you want to. But it really is. So, I mean, if you're out there listening to this and you are work that much harder because it's going to get more difficult. Um, You know, and and to answer the first part of the question was, you know, I I remember when uh, 9-11 happened. And I'll never forget Greg Johnson, the traveling secretary for the Pirates, who's still there. Yeah. He called me and, you know, and waited, waited around for, you know, what we hopped on a bus to go to Chicago, not knowing whether we were going to play in a couple of days or not. And I remember, uh, we were in the back of the bus and, um, we all had like a little, uh, meeting with the Players Association and they said, you know what, turn around. We need to stop it for a little bit. So, you know, obviously those two weeks went by and it was so needed for the fans. Yeah. It was so needed for just everybody, I, I, I think, to get back to some type of normality, And I think it would be great if they could get up. They could start playing on TV. Obviously, there's going to be no fans and, and that'll be difficult. But at the same time, it's the same difficult. I mean, the reason I say that is the Arizona Fall League is pretty much like there's no fans. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to play when Michael Jordan was with the Scottsdale Scorpions. So at least you knew once every <laughs> once, a, one game a week that there was going to be some fans there because Jordan was playing. But, um, you know what? It, it is what it is. They, they started that in Taiwan. It actually kind of made me laugh because they had some dummies with masks out it in <laughs> hands. So it's actually kind of, kind of funny. But, um, I, I, I do need, I think if they could go, this is just my opinion. I think, if they could start the first couple of weeks of July and kind of make it after, that, you can have a 70-game, 70 75-game season. And I, I think it's what the United States needs, the world needs, mm-hmm. once again, my opinion. Yeah. Um, but they have to make sure everybody's self, is safe first. And I don't know if, I mean, I'm not a very political person, but I, people just need to do their part right now and mm-hmm. and stay inside. This is not... Done by any means. I don't believe, mm-hmm. and you know, I watch the news just like anybody else, and Good Morning America, and etc. And this is scary stuff. And I mean, just I don't know. You guys, tell me your thoughts on that because I, I just think it's a crazy time. But I, I do believe baseball needs to to get back, and I think it would give people something to to watch and, and take their mind off of of you know for three hours. Yeah, and just to, to kind of. Yeah. And, and the, listen, the ball players, the veteran players who have been playing, whether you have four years in, five years in, however many, they're going to be fine. They know what they have to do to get ready for a season. Mm -hmm. It's the minor league kids that I I think I worry about more than anything because they're at the time to where they need to play and play a lot.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I think we're all in the same camp of it would be absolutely incredible to have sports back, baseball back. I mean, it would not only be great for us, but be great for baseball to – have that center stage too. I mean, it's, if they can find a way to do it that's feasible, that's uh, financially doable, and also more than more than any of that, safe, and, and they're able to have instant testing and, and safety that way, um, that would be, you know, uh, ideal and perfect. And whatever, you know, half a season, whatever you can do would be would be great. But I, I wanted to go back to: uh, Were you were you actually playing in the AFL when uh, when Michael Jordan was there, and what was that like?
2: Well, like I said, once a week, you knew you had some fans there. Um, he, Michael Gordon does owe me something I'll never forget. I was playing for the Chandler Diamondbacks, and he had a pop fly straight up in the air uh, behind the home plate and kind of tailed back a little bit. Well, he never got out of the box. And I, I ran into him, and uh, and, I, and I, the ball dropped. And he said, oh, man, thanks, I owe you one. And I said, you remember you said that, man. <laughs> I never took him up on it, but no. Um, it was cool, and, and you know, obviously – Little things like that that you can tell cool stories with are neat, um, but obviously with this whole The Last Dance coming yeah. out, and I don't know if you guys watched or not, yeah. but it's pretty cool. It's pretty pretty neat, and um, you know it's what an unbelievable basketball player. And, and and you know what, Rob, the fact that he can go out and and, and hit—I mean, he, his stats weren't like unbelievable—but the, the fact that he can go out, what an—I a- mean, athlete, I guess, not just a basketball player, but the fact that he can go out and put up the numbers that he, he actually put up, yeah. which in today's game, geez, people did getting paid a bunch of money for it.
1: But it unbelievable athlete. I remember at the time talking to some, you know, I guess for lack of a better phrase, some old-time baseball writers, uh, Paul Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you were going to hear I learned at the feet of Paul Meyer, man. I tell you, I'm like uh, – I'm the crotchety bastard that I am today, in large part because of Paul Meyer. Well, he left him some bush light, didn't (laughs) he? He still does. One time we were going – I'm sidetracking here, But one time we were going to cover a series in Cincinnati. We decided to drive out together. And as soon as we crossed that line from Pennsylvania to West Virginia, he pulls over. And I'm thinking, oh, I guess we just need to get some gas. No, we went right to the beer store. And he got himself a case of something. And he's like, you want and to, he said to that You're driving the
2: rest of the way, I bet. I said,
1: Paul, how long are we going to be there? We're only going to be in Cincinnati three days. He was seems about right. <laughs> so, yeah. So. And he, he
2: probably put it in that cooler in the trunk, and bingo, the rest was history. Yep. Probably filled up his bathtub full of ice. And yeah, you know, I, I know Paul Myers. He's a beauty, <laughs> one of the
1: best. He is. He is a tremendous. Yeah, he is a tremendous guy. We don't have enough Paul Myers, I think, in the industry anymore because he's he was a great True. guy. but. I remember talking to guys, older guys, scouts and whatnot back then, and some of them were kind of resentful about Jordan trying to play ball because, ah, uh, you know, he's a basketball guy, but they, you know, he's a great athlete, but they just, you know, people just think if you're a good athlete, you can play baseball. He's not a baseball player. What was what was the mood among, among some of the players when you see a guy like Jordan, uh, who was already an established superstar in basketball, trying to shift gears and play baseball?
2: Uh, I, mean, I I I had zero problem with it. I thought it was neat. Um,
1: that's the sense I and have. And then the fact that he came back and
2: played, I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, that's Michael Jordan. Um, yeah. You know, I know th- there's so many different backstories that they say. I could care less. It was, I thought it was cool. And like I said, the um, the numbers he put up, they weren't by no means, you know, above average. They were, but they're, you know, you hit 250 and, uh, in Arizona Fall League against prospects who are throwing ninety eight miles an hour of run and second just really don't even know where it's at. And, and you know, you're getting on base. You're stealing bases. I think one year for Birmingham he had like thirty something bases. That, that's not easy to do at all. And correct me if I'm wrong, I might be wrong. I'm just I'm just going off of what I kind of remember. But I think he had thirty bags one year, which is you gotta get on to steal a base. And you know, double A Triple A's more of your, you know, you guys that are moving up and down and getting called up back there, guys that have been in the big leagues. And you know, double A's are your guys where they're gonna make the the, the next jump and, and and be big league ball players. Um and so put up decent numbers. Stealing thirty bags in double A is not easy.
0: Yeah. Hey Jason, we're coming up this December, I think, on the uh, the closing of Three Rivers Stadium. Uh, I know you, you got the first Pirates hit at PNC Park, but, uh, 20 years ago now, if you can, if you can believe it, last time you would have played at Three Rivers. Do you have any, any fond or funny memories of Three Rivers?
2: Yeah, I, uh, the Zamboni picked up part of my ankle in there, <laughs> like a quarter sized chip in my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I was probably the only one that to, that hated to see the three rivers blow up. but I remember I was actually in town uh, watching from the hotel and um, so I hit so many ground balls and that AstroTurf was just gold. Yeah. Mm. And the ball that I did hit at the time to left center would go out of three rivers, the PNC. They, they just decided to make it that four ten little mark right next to the bullpens. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you how many times I hit the ball deep out there. That would have been a home run in three rivers and uh, somebody would catch it right in front of the the, the bullpen, uh, out there. But, uh, no, I mean, it was Three Rivers. It, it was my start. It was my, it, it was, I loved it. I loved everything about it. Maybe that because that's where I, my first home was, Three Rivers. And I but I love PNC Park too. It's the most gorgeous ballpark in the game now, in my opinion. But, you know, I, I have a bunch of great memories, um, from Three Rivers and, you know, the Zamboni out there that cleans the turf, has a quarter-sized piece of my cartilage in there somewhere. <laughs> and those are about it. But, no, I, I, good times out there. I wish I, I really, really, truly wish I could have helped bring um, at least postseason chances because I think, really, when you get to the postseason, it's kind of a coin toss. Anything can happen at any given time. But I wish we could have at least gotten there And um, because the best sports fans in the world are in Pittsburgh. You got the the uh, you got Steelers, Penguins, and then the Pirates. And I, I knew that. We all knew that when we played there. And we were just kind of hoping to get back to that Pops, you know, the, that era, you know, Clemente, to where when they won and just to see how everything would have uh, taken place. But obviously that didn't happen. And,
1: you know, I guess you got to keep going. Yeah, you hit 312 over your career at Three River Stadium uh, with like a – I don't know, OPS of 863. So yeah, good numbers there. And you're, and you're right. It was a, a good hitter's park in, in that sense. Um, your rookie year, God, you hit 300 rookie year and I mean, it made the all-star game third in the rookie of the year voting. I was even talking to Nez before, you know, a lot of guys come up and they have good rookie years and you, and you wonder if, if they're going to be able to repeat that and carry it forward. And for a guy, especially a guy who's a catcher, it's such a grind to to be productive at the plate when you're catching because you're doing so many other things out there. Um, what was that like for you? You know, to come out and have that that first taste of success so quickly, and then to be able to sustain it. You every you know, how, what was your thought process? What were your emotions like going through that and, and, and continue to do it every year?
2: I, I think I was more difficult on myself than anybody and it's funny because you know when i started making money and we weren't winning and people thought i was a jerk i mean I, i've never really thought i don't really care what what uh, uh like i gotta rephrase this <laughs> i'm not a big i know people are gonna like me and people are gonna hate me and, and i i don't lose sleep over it either way but um i was harder on myself because i i expected better and i always did and i my my old man always taught me you know whether you're the best or you're not, you better believe in your mind that you're the best. i go 0 for 5 and ground into a double play to, to, to end the game. And I still knew I was the best out there. Just my mindset. Um, but I loved to play, Rob. I, I loved to play. And I, I would like to think, I doubt it would happen, but that if I, if I could still throw a baseball, I'd still be backing up somewhere, maybe catching three games a year. but <laughs> or, or teaching somebody. I was never a big catcher. I w- I've been the same weight. That I am now that I did my whole playing career and um, I wasn't putting all of that weight on my knees. Um, and it takes a toll with those bigger guys. So I think that was, that, that was a, a big reason. And then, you know, later in my career, I, uh, couldn't hit like I used to. And, but I knew I could do something in a game, whether it be call a game, get a guy over, hit and run, whatever it may be, you know, lead the pitcher, however many to, to help win. So. But I love to play, and um, I, I love the competitiveness, and that's probably, I just wanted to play it every day.
1: You batted leadoff. You were a catcher. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> I mean, that has to be, you know. Um, did, did you hit leadoff a lot in the minors? I think anything.
2: Or? It was just because I got on base, and yeah. I, I made contact. I mean, I don't know what I hit. It's either first or second, what I hit more, you know, as many at best. I don't know how many. Uh, Very, I don't know. I mean, I I think that I probably hit
1: 400 leadoff maybe more. 467 games uh, batting first, 377 batting second, 309 batting third, and three games batting cleanup. And a bunch I did
2: them. play three. I, 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 somebody, my, my son asked me, he goes, hey, you ever hit cleanup? And I said, no, nah, I don't think I ever have. <laughs> huh, all right, I can tell him I did for three. Um,
1: <laughs> three at-bats, no, you know what? <laughs> all right, there you go. All right. Well, I am a clean up hitter.
2: No, you know what? It was. um, I could get on base. I knew what it had to do, and I think working with the pitching staff, especially in the National League, when you know they, I I couldn't stand when people were leading off, uh, 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 and pitcher made the first out, ground ball, shortstop, whatever, And, and then they're in the box before the guy's even close to getting back to the. it was dugout. And yeah. I think knowing the pitcher, knowing who it was, knowing, you know, just a little break, I always took pitches. I, I, I've been watching a couple old games with my kids, and they're like, Dad, why do you always take the first pitch? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sitting here going, swing not that, dude. But, uh, you know, I, I, I knew what my job was. I knew I was, you know, get on base and, and um, let the, let the big boys get you around. Mm-hmm.
0: Jason, you were uh, on the Hall of Fame ballot 2016, I believe it was. I think it was just a, a one and done. Uh, at that point, you ended up getting a couple of votes. At that point in time, was that something you gave much much thought to? Of, of um, I don't know if it's whether your chances to actually get in were high or your chances to be in the discussion for a little longer. Was that something you kept a, an eye on uh, that year?
2: Not really, because I know that it, it, a lot of that stuff goes with who likes you and who doesn't. And- right. Not that I was a big, I was just a, 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 I was a jerk when I played, just because that was, I, I'm actually the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> off the field, it's just, it's just when I played, I was, I was going out to, and I was a different type of a catcher. I wasn't a power guy. I stole some bases. I let, let off a lot, and, and you know, a lot of people who vote on that, some liked me, some didn't like me, and it's kind of like the Gold Glove, I, I in my opinion. Um, People don't know that the gold gloves voted on by the coaches and it's like after BP and I've seen that boys fill out gold glove awards uh, because guys, guys come in after throwing BP coaches and they're tired and they're like, Hey, can you just do this for me and give us a PR guy? But I mean, that's beside the point. But so no, I, I wasn't, you know, am I a hall of famer? No should I have been on a, the, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I should have been on another year or not, but I mean, I was a different type of catcher. I, I had different numbers than a lot of people. And I don't know if they, uh, when they go to vote, they look at things like that. So it wasn't a big deal.
1: Let me take you back to your, to 97 on July 12th, 97. I was off that night. Joe Rudder was off that night. I forget who the hell the trip had down there, but you caught that 10, hitting no hitter, uh, with, uh, Cohn and, uh, and, and Frankie Cordova. What was that game like from your point of view? I mean, you're the guy, you know, you're seeing every pitch, you're, you're seeing every play, you're feeling every emotion. What was that game like for you?
2: Oh, it was amazing. And I could have, I, I could, it's funny because I can't do my kids homework, you know, the advanced geometry or anything like that. But I could tell you how that, that his first at bat against Vizio, <laughs> um, how much his ball was moving. And I think he went three and two. I might be wrong. I don't know. But I think he went three and two and Vigio ended up grounded out, uh, to the right side of the infield. And, um, I'm going, wow, this is, he, his stuff's moving a lot more than it has. Cause I mean, that's how Frankie, that's how Cordova, he was a sink ball pitcher. Yeah. Boy, did he have some healthy sink. And I just for those, those eight pitches before Vigio came up, I could just see the ball moving differently. Now, differently is like, eh, okay. But then just started getting better and better and better. And then that slider. And, and you know, I am uh, I got to be good friends with Bagwell. And he hated <laughs> Corbell. But Corbell. Uh, <laughs> and, and we would go hang out and eat lunch before the games or whatever. And it's like, yeah, this guy's his ball just moved. But for some reason that night, it just was – I have those thoughts a lot. You can go down and catch a guy in the bullpen, a starter, and he might be lights out or he might have nothing. Mm-hmm. And then when you get those eight pitches before the uh the game starts, you're like, Whoa, whoa. And <laughs> then he 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 threw probably about six or seven pitches to bitch and I'm like, if he can I'm thinking of myself, if he can control this, we had a pretty good chance to win. But <laughs> yeah. the, the 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 funny thing about that whole thing is we didn't score either. I don't even remember who was pitching, but uh, I mean, we, we didn't score.
1: Yeah, who was pitching for the Astros that night? Um Chris Holt and John Hudek and Billy Wagner. All through, I guess, uh, who took the loss? I don't know who took the loss. Here, John, looking at a weird well, I, I guess it was Hudak. Yeah, John Hudak took run. the loss.
2: I, I think that I walked, and then Turner Ward, I believe, was – I mean, the fact that I know this still is just
0: <laughs> not,
2: not okay with my mind, but I, mean, I want to say Turner Ward walked, and then um, maybe two or three pitches later, he hit a home run, and it was – the, the cool part about it, it was, it was. I think it was a Saturday night, or Friday night, it was, but I mean, you know, the place was packed. There's 50,000 people there.
1: It was, it was 40,000 people. The first non opening day sellout at Three River Stadium in right. 20 years.
2: At that See, I, I remember that, but no, it yeah. was just cool. I mean, and the fact that he hit it and he knew it was gone and, you know, uh, Rincon came in and, and, you know, he threw nine innings and, and Gene, Gino took him out. I think he, I, I'm pretty sure he had over 100 pitches at the time and, you know, he was pretty much our number one.
1: 121,
2: pitchers. 121 pitchers. <laughs> he couldn't let him go back out and, and he did the right thing and it just so happens that they're both from mexico and and both from they're both uh they didn't come from much but i know that they're they're huge there because i know for a fact that the frankie cordova uh, got electricity in his little town and it, it, you, this is where people need to take a step back like when he signed his you know his contract and it wasn't much he didn't need much, but he got his town and I don't know where it is in Mexico. He got this town electricity. I mean, lights. <laughs> so that was what was cool because, you and, know, and a lot of that has to do with probably that game. And, um, so, I, I mean, I, I don't know. He, he was filthy and he, he had it that night. And I wish we would have scored a run for him. So it would have been nine innings. But then again, I don't know how many catchers out there can say that they've caught a 10 inning, no hitter.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not many. Um, we i think as reporters love talking to catchers because they had a better view than anyone really of the era in which they played and it's been let's see 10 years now since you last played in the majors and there are when i'm looking at your stats here i mentioned this earlier before you came on but you for your whole career had more walks than strikeouts which is something that i don't think we see a whole ton of anymore uh, or barely ever anymore and it was even rare in your time uh how has the game Changed in the decade um, that you've been away from baseball, or, or decades since you last pl- uh, last played in the majors.
2: Well, it's changed a tremendous amount, and you know I was fortunate enough to be with the. You know, my last team was the Kansas City Royals, and then I, I was fortunate enough to to watch their run, you know, to where they went to, uh, you know, won the American League Championship, lost to the Giants in seven, and, and you know the following year, went – it and it was it was such a cool thing in a different perspective for me to be up in the front office because I knew who the owners were. I knew who the GMs were. I I didn't care about anything else when I went to play, um, but trying to do what I could do to win that game uh, for the team. My whole career, I was like that. So being up in the front office was, it was different because there's so much that goes on. There's so much that goes on that people just don't know. And, um, listen, as far as times, you have to learn to change with the times. I mean, the game's going to stay the same; it's, it's, the names are going to keep changing. I think everybody's heard that quote. But it, it's the other way. Now, at the same time, if you look back at all the um, World Series teams that have won over, say, the last ten years, they did the little thing, with the exception of the Houston Astros. Let me put that in there. But <laughs> you can—they did the little things. I mean. I do get sick to my stomach. I've only been out uh, uh, for two years and just so I can hang out with the kids yeah. uh, more. But um, it, it makes me sick to my stomach to a 0-0 zero, zero game in the eighth inning. Guy gets a leadoff double and the uh, right-handed hitter's up and he's hooking balls into the left field bleachers. That's where I would have said, like, get him over. get it. Let the next guy do it. And and it still goes on today. And you know, I, as a manager, you need to make sure that, you know, your first day of spring training that you take care of those things. And the one thing you can do now to, to uh, to I mean, cause there's so much money involved in the game is, is take their playing time away. You know, if you're going to sit here and hook balls in the left field, not even give me an effort to hit. So the, you're not going to have, um, I'm trying to think, you know, uh, the Josh Bell, I mean, but I guarantee Josh Bell would, would probably give an effort. There's guys like that, and there's guys not like that. But I mean, at least make an effort. I mean, because you could, you can hit a ground ball to, to second base, give the guy to third, and sack fly wins the game. You don't see that much of that going on anymore. Um, but and I and I blame a lot of that stuff on the managers not taking care of that first day of the of spring training.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned the Astros <laughs> and. Um... They've been in the news a little bit in the off season. Um, you're you're a catcher, you were a catcher, and you, and you and you saw a lot of things back there, I'm sure. And you were you know always trying to play a little bit of game a cat and mouse with third base coaches. What is your take on uh, what the Astros did with the, the banging on the garbage cans and the, and the reading of uh, of, of stewing signs from uh, video replay?
2: I, I have two totally different takes on this. Um, one is as a catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, as a defensive player, if the hitter can hear it, I'm going to be able to hear it. And as a catcher, you know if there's a, a, a nasty pitch, whether it be two, whatever, and it, the guy's either laying off it or he's barreling it up. Mm-hmm. Like, and if the hitter can hear, the catcher can hear, the umpire can hear. And I mean, it's a common sense thing. Mm-hmm. But The one thing that this game doesn't want anymore is is confrontation. And I'm not saying fight. I'm not going, but hey, I I would have loved for somebody to be banging and because you know you know as a catcher you know as a pitcher when that ball comes out of your hand no, oh, that's a good one yeah i mean you just know and if someone's laying off it or taking it something's going on and you need to to mix up the signs or say something and i would have and i'm not trying to be a tommy tough guy i i, I would have gone over to their dugout and i'm just looking the use using them and like a ground ball to shortstop catcher runs down and I, I keep hearing that I'm going to hit every single one of you guys in the neck till it stops. And, and mm-hmm. I'm not trying to. And I've said this before over the last month or so doing we interviews. And I said I'm not trying to be some tough guy. I'm just telling you how that's how I would have handled it. And I'll guarantee you would have stopped because nobody wants to get hit by a 95 mile an hour fastball. Yeah. On the offensive side, and it's funny because somebody wrote an article, and and I I know like especially when my my best years when I could. Because I could put the ball, I get the ball, I would hit 400. And it's even funnier because I said that, and I want to say it might be uh, Rob, one of those guys uh, the Tribune. But the first comment down, someone, uh, my neighbor, sent to me. He's like a, a sports guru guy, and he goes, "Look at this." And he somehow mathematically, I don't know, did, did something to where uh, I would have had to get one hit out of every nine at bats. Knowing what's coming for like 350 at bats, that's easy if you know it's coming. Especially if you're facing your division over and over. And I say that's easy, is that's what we did. Yeah. That's we we would hit hit. So if you face your division starting pitcher, you know how much his ball sinks. Guy, some guy that you have 10, 15, 20 at bats off of, you know how much it sinks. You know how, and now you know what's coming. And like the situation just on the scoreboard dictates everything. Yeah, I might have had a couple more home runs, but now, and I said this as well, if I think and I believe that I could have hit 400, because I, I think getting one hit out of every nine at bats, when I was in my prime and at my best, that's and knowing what's coming, I would have maybe hit 410. Now you yeah. go back at a Tony Gwynn, you go back at a, a, a Mike Trout. Now, I mean, you go back to, and the reason I say Tony Gwynn is, I couldn't figure out how to get this guy out. And, and it took me like forever to figure out and you know how to get Tony Gwynn out? Hmm. Throw him a four seam fastball right down the middle of the plate and he'll roll it because he doesn't know what to do with it, because everybody's <laughs> trying to pick themselves up. <laughs> so imagine what Tony Gwynn would have hit. He would have hit five fifty, six hundred if he yeah. knew what was coming. And yeah. uh, I mean, you know, obviously there's still the defense out there, but I don't think people understand the the, the, the craft that these these big league ball players have. When it comes to hitting, I mean, mm-hmm. 95 was sink, 98 was cut. I mean, it's it's that unbelievable. Yeah. But they can do it, and that's why there's you know, I don't know, give or take 23 000 to 25 thousand people that I've ever put on a big league uniform. I, I mean, I don't know the exact number.
1: No, you're right. I mean, I mean, if it you is... think about
2: it that way, it kind of makes sense.
1: Gosh, yeah. And it, to see it, you know, to see it play out. In a season like that, yeah, you, you know, I think you're, you're, I think you're exactly right. There are some people that say, "Oh, well, how much effect can it have?" But no, really, if, because if, it's more than just knowing the pitch. It's, it's having known the history of the of the pitcher, and everything pitcher. else that goes into it. then right.
2: listen, I, I spent eight years with George Brett over the last, you know, with the Royals, and every day, and I've asked him this, and he goes easy. Mm. He, I go use 500 for you, huh? He goes easy. <laughs> he, and, and you know, even even now, you look at all these stats and everything that pop up. Um, for I mean, you know, he every every team's going to hit better on the fastball than, than a breaking ball. Just because you should be geared up for the fastball because if you're looking for something else and you get a fastball, you have no chance. Without a doubt. But now, if you know every pitch that is coming, it doesn't matter if the guy's throwing a, if it's a Chapman throwing 105. It doesn't matter because these guys are so good at what they do. You can gear up for it. If I saw a Rollis or a Chapman, which I have faced him before, it was 105, yeah, okay, it's coming in hot. All right, mm-hmm. well, you know what? Now I got my timing down, and I know a fastball's coming, which, you know, he's obviously mixed in a slider and a little split finger or change it or whatever recently. Yeah. But you're going to get hits. So you hit the ball hard. You're going to barrel it up. It is hard to hit. But if you know what's coming, well, oh, it's 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 a lot easier. I'm not saying it's easy, mm-hmm. but the guys who hit 350 every year, your George Brett, your Tony Gwynns. I mean, you guys know where I'm what I'm talking about with this. Yeah. Now, I mean, these guys are gonna 400 would be nothing to these guys.
0: I have this uh, vivid memory. I don't know if it was of the replay or watching the actual game. This game in '03, when um, Marlon Anderson, I think, got hit and you guys end up getting in a little bit of a wrestling match, and I think both get suspended for a little while. Benches cleared, and I, hey, I love benches clearing. And Rob brought up, I think this is in your book, when you wrote about uh, when you're on the other side of things with the Brewers, and um, Jeff Carson gets hit and, <laughs> and brings out uh, everybody off the bench. What's your best brawl story from your career? No, I,
2: I don't know if there's a best one. I know that there's a
0: –
2: I never – I, I, like I said, I played to, to win and I played for my team. And, um, I wasn't ever going to let anybody go and either badmouth my team or badmouth myself. I had a problem with people yelling at me and that was, that was, I mean, I can handle a lot, but when somebody yelled at me, I was just like, no, no, no. And that's what happened with Lackey and Joe Kennedy. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't have a best story. I mean, I know <laughs> that I have comfortable ones or uncomfortable ones in the Gary Sheffield one and two weeks later was in the, um, also game with him in Colorado. And I remember Larry Walker trying to locker us up next to each other. Um but that, obviously that didn't happen and I was down at one end and he was at the other end. But I was an uncomfortable uh, uh three days at the All Star game. Just I'm just thinking to myself, all right, you know what? just just get one good punch. And anyhow anyway, we we've since obviously we're older now and um but Joe Kennedy I guess would be the other because I got traded to the Oakland A's and Joe Kennedy was with the Rockies a year before. And you could tell he was uncomfortable in it. And when he got traded, it, it's kind, it's uncomfortable going in the locker room at first. I mean, I, I guess I, I for for a lot of people. And you could tell he's uncomfortable because the year before we got in a fight, and, and um, I was with the Pirates, but so we got traded to. Uh, so I went up to him as soon as he got there, and I'm like, "Hey, Joe, I don't know if you remember me, but we, we got in a fight last year." <laughs> and kind of broke broke the ice for him because you know he's my teammate now. And I tell you what, man, he, he went on. I mean, he's he's passed on since and. You know, it's a sad story, but uh, boy, did he have a good uh, year with us after that in two thousand six. That's I mean, no, no fight stories really that good. I mean, I could tell you some probably stuff that off the air that yeah. you can't, <laughs> that you can't put out. But I'm not going to do that.
0: Yeah, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you um, about this off season. I know you were <clears throat> sort of looped into this whole managerial discussion. Uh, certainly had some interest in it and the Pirates end up going with uh, Ben Charrington for GM and uh, Derek Shelton for for manager what did you think watching from afar and slightly involved uh, about their the new direction they took
2: I I love it and you know like I said earlier my Pittsburgh's my my first home and in baseball and um, you know they thought highly enough to to draft me in 1992 so uh, yeah, when I, somebody called me and got a hold of a reporter out here, the reporter asked me hey, is it okay to give the number? And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. And then I talked, and the next thing I know, I, I, yeah, I would love to take that job. Because there's something that I do miss about Pittsburgh that I, that I, maybe it's something that I couldn't, maybe it's just something in my own head that I couldn't accomplish as a player huh. that I need to bring some. And I, I know that I'd be a good manager. I mean, I, I guys now, you don't have to manage. Nowadays, to um, th- I mean, listen. I had some up and down managers. I had to manage for them, and I would sit there <laughs> and tell these guys what to do during certain situations. I know how to manage. It's just managing your bullpen and and you know the matchups and just knowing what's going on. And, and you know, you're treating people the way you want to be treated. Like you're taught as a kid. That's bottom line. Yeah, a lot of managers today are. I know for a fact I won't say any names they come into their interview and people are asked or they're asked from the front office do you care if the lineups already made and put on your desk before you even get into the office today and, I, and, and you know what teach his own but I would not manage like that if if I'm going to be a manager I, I would want to bring my own people in I that the you trust I, I would want to it's i you're hiring me as a manager on the field. Now what you guys do up in the front office, now that I understand it too, it makes it a lot simpler. But I, I, wouldn't, be a, um, uh, I, I wouldn't be somebody's puppet to where the lineup's already made out. And that's probably why it won't happen. But when I um, got that call, I'm like, yeah, I, I would take that job in a heartbeat because
1: mm-hmm.
2: I know what I can do with that team, and I know what I can do with that team now. But, no, I'm, I'm happy for um, Ben. Um uh, in Shelton and, and, that's in the city of Pittsburgh because you got two good baseball guys and hopefully, uh, when and if we do start playing this year that, uh, that's another thing that people have to look, and I don't mean to change subjects is you're gonna, if we do play a 70 game schedule or something like that, nobody's out of it. I mean, the no. Miami Marlins can get hot for a month and, and, <laughs> you know, the Pirates can get hot for a months and that would be what would be really interesting to, to watch is I mean you got 70 games it's a sprint there's no more it's oh it's a marathon or it's not a sprint it's a marathon no it's a sprint it's a dead sprint from the first pitch whenever the uh, the season starts to the last
1: yeah I mean you lose you know you lose four games in a row and, and, and you could be in big trouble in, in a season like that without a know? doubt yeah and and the other way around too you win five or six in a row and suddenly you're a division leader so yeah it's uh it would be an interesting it would be an interesting feature you know, something I got to thinking about while you we were talking there, uh, because I, I think, I, I, I think a lot of when you, when your name came up in the, in the whole managerial thing, there was so much positive vibe about it here in Pittsburgh, and because it's clear that you know a lot of the fans now grew up watching you play, and and. And have memories of that, and you're still a really popular guy here in Pittsburgh. And I think it, it, it's it's something not just you, but like there's a you're, you're part of that. Uh, there's like a fraternity of catchers in Pittsburgh, almost. I mean, uh, and I, maybe it's I don't know if it's that way with other teams or not, but I mean, you know, here in Pittsburgh, I mean, San is is still a really visible guy, and people still love Tony Pena, and and the and, and 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 well, not too much slop. I mean, it you know they've had even more recently Russell Martin and that. You, you kind of fit in with a group of, like, beloved players here. What – I mean, do you get back here very much? Do you have much interaction with, with, with people here in Pittsburgh? And what, what kind of reactions do you get?
2: I, I haven't been back to Pittsburgh, I don't think, since my um, – I want say the last time I was with Milwaukee playing. And, and, you know, it's not by choice. It's just I have kids. And uh, I went through a, a, an awful situation personally, and I got – full custody of my children and it was just me and some, and then I met um there was just me and my some nannies and, and it was it was difficult it's not by choice at all um and that that was one of the reasons I took the Royals' job to I told him I go listen you know I can't go on the road I, I can't go on the road right now and this was you know eight years ago um because I'm raising little kids I'm not I'm, I'm the one there the, the, I mean and you know obviously then I, I met my wife now um, who has two beautiful kids and uh, we have four now. And so it was just, it was the time wasn't right. And, and you know, the Royals wanted me to go on the road more and, and I, I couldn't do it. I, I took three road trips and it was to the job. that's because they kind of made me, they, uh, to the Giants world series in San Francisco, Um Toronto, the following year and the ALCS and um, the Mets when we won the world series. And uh, So that was why I think more than anything, um I have not been back because I, you know, from dropping off at of school, so it's family. And I, I always told myself, because my, my old man played for 12 years in the big leagues and never made the money, and I've said this a million times too, that that players make today. But it's because of players like that, I, I want to say he went through maybe two strikes and a lockout. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but, you know, he, he had to come home and work UPS, work construction. So we have never really saw him. And then I always told myself, you know, when I have children, I'm not going to do that to him because I was very fortunate enough to, to Make the money I made and not have to do things that I don't want to do. But you know, my that's my life. Baseball is my life. And and if the right situation popped up right now, I would definitely hop on it. You know, kids are older and driving. Well, my <laughs> two three of them are driving. My baby girl is not. But um, you know, I, I'm I'm in a good place now and in a, a good spot of, in my life to where, and I know that I that, that the the stuff I know about this game, it's it's. I know it could help someone um, eventually.
1: I remember talking to you. I guess about six years ago or so when the book came out, and I asked. Remember asking what you're up to, and he just said at that point you were kind of like, you know, you were like, you're, you said, "I'm a soccer mom, and I'm loving it." <laughs> and I remember thinking, "Oh,
2: I'm, I tell you what, I, I will say this, Rob. I'm the best driver out in Kansas. I know <laughs> who, as far as picking up now, mm. my baby girl is my last one. As far as picking up." Oh man, I know all the ins and outs. I, I without a doubt am the best uh uh parker, driver, picker upper, whatever you want to call it in the of Kansas.
1: And it's something that is you don't have any experience with that yet, but eventually someday as I assume you will when you and the you and the Colby get to producing kitties. but, uh, yeah, well, you do take on a whole new skill set when you become a parent. And one of them is the, uh, the driving of minivans or even just in general, the ins and outs of getting to that good spot at the curb to get the kids and getting the heck out of there without too much hassle. Just yeah. Jason's right. There's a whole bunch of stuff. That, uh...
2: It's a skill set. You have to know. <laughs> it's a total skill set. You, and you, 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 you have to play it like it's the seventh game of the World Series because some of these <laughs> um, moms and fathers out here, jeez, mm-hmm. they're brutal. Yeah. And so I, but yeah. I, I already know. Like, all right, here we go. I'm moving in. So I, I I do the parking stuff like I, like I played. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which is why, at playgroups, you oftentimes have a lot of cans being opened.
2: <laughs> yes, you're right. I agree. <laughs> uh,
1: well, Jason, last thing before we let you go. Um, I'm looking you know, at your career history. You, you made it to the postseason with Oakland and, and the Cubbies and the Brewers. Never, uh, you know, Unfortunately, never had that chance with the Pirates to get into the playoffs. What do you remember about the freak show year in 97 when – just so many weird things i remember you know that that series in st louis at the 4th of july when you guys swept out there just that whole season and and what was that like going through that it was i guess it's the closest thing that, that you had to a, a playoff experience with the pirates
2: well it, it was one of the, i mean it was one of the coolest years ever and, and you know uh Rannon and myself still talk about that a lot but it's funny because i i would say that every other player had at least one player maybe and maybe I'm wrong, that had more, you know, a, a year's salary better than we did. I mean, there had to be, like, $9 million payroll, and we went down. To, it had to – I remember going into New York, like the final six games, and we won that last game, I believe, and or I can't remember. But I, I know that if we went into Houston the last three games of the season, and if we swept them, we would have had a playoff game to see who goes to the playoffs. Now, the Astros weren't. Above 500 either, but I mean that's just how it happens in a division. And I think we won the first one and we lost the next one. But I mean it was it, it was a great taste for a lot of uh, of the players that went on and maybe were in a playoff race before. I mean it was it was awesome for me. I mean because it was you know it's every pitch every play is you know means something, which it should from you know the start of the season to the end. But uh, there's just something more. And the fans, you know, the, the fans go like, "Listen, you can play I, if you could play in Pittsburgh or Philly, you to play anywhere." Everybody always says Boston and New York. No, no, no. If you can play in Pittsburgh or in, or if you can play in Pennsylvania, you can play pretty much anywhere. It's not Boston and New York. It's not L. It's it's Pennsylvania. And that's just my opinion again. But that '97 year was awesome. I mean, it's you talk about people getting behind you, and listen, we didn't have anybody. But we played as a team. Did the little things. Did what we were capable of doing as opposed to trying to, you know, hit a three run home run every at bat. And that's what happens when you can play as a team.
1: Yeah, one of the more, it was definitely one of the more enjoyable years I was ever around a ball club. Just because, like you said, it was a team that no one expected a lot out of them. But, um, and you look at some of the names, you're there, KY, Polky, Al Martin. Gosh, Jermaine Allensworth played 108 games that year. Um, You know, Loiza, Lieber, Schmidtyman, Cordova, Cookie—just a a, you know a club that a lot of things went right, and a lot of guys did above and beyond what was expected of them. And you know, make it to the playoffs. Don't make it to the playoffs. It was. It was. That's one of the reasons I stay around the game, watching the game, writing about it. Is is for seasons like that where, where guys do things that just, you know, your jaw drops a little bit and... No, deliver- and you know yeah, cool. what?
2: And, and We knew we had a good team. We knew we hanging on by sort of whatever thread, but I'll never forget when Cam Bonifay went and um, got Sean Dunstan. Mm-hmm. And not yeah. just... This was probably in August. This was even before the deadline. Now, obviously the deadline then was August 1st, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, all the players were like, wow, you know, we got Sean Dunstan. And I'm thinking to myself, like, we're all excited and you know, Sean was at the end of his career. And he did unbelievable things for us. Played out to play wherever. But people were such big fans of Dunstan because they grew up watching him. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> you got a rock star in the clubhouse. All right. <laughs> but I mean, as players, we all, we are all like, man, all right, we're going. And you can see that whole September just kind of getting amped up. And, um, I, I wish they would go and play some more games like that. like, uh, uh, I know, the history of our, Because that was a cool season that a lot of people don't know about, you know, with the exception of obviously people in Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah. Well, Jason, we could keep you on the phone all day, but we know you got things to do. You got masks to distribute, (laughs) right? (laughs) And stuff like that. So we won't keep you any longer. But man, thank you so much for this. This is uh, it's been fantastic looking back at uh, you know an interesting era for the Pirates, and and you were a big part of of that as well.
2: No, nah, you know what, guys? I appreciate you have uh, having me on, and uh, anytime you guys need anything, you know, please let me know, and I'll be there. And just everybody stay safe, you know. You guys stay safe. It's a it's a really messed up time right now, and uh, you know, just kind of get through it and um, stay away from people. But, uh, <laughs> everybody just stay safe right now and uh,
1: do your part. So you I'm too, stay safe Jason, out there in Kansas. All right, guys.
0: Thanks. Take care. No, Rob, I think um, my my take away from that is if anyone gets close to me, I just go fastball to the neck.
1: (laughs) There you go. Well, again, thanks for tuning in for what has been one of the longer, but I think uh, more enjoyable yards that we've done. We've had a couple of good ones here in a row. We've had the Everton boys. We've had this one. So uh, let's keep it rolling through this time of quarantine. We'll see what we can dig up for you guys next week. It might be another familiar name. Maybe mm-hmm. a younger guy. Maybe I don't know. Maybe We're a not lot younger. Talk any hints just yet, but we will talk to you in some. No, oh, you go ahead and stay, Stephen. You did so well last week. <laughs>
0: okay, son. We'll talk.
1: two you later.